Would you please stand for the reading of God's word as Paul Taylor comes and reads to us from the Holy Scriptures. Our God speaks to us every day. Uh, please join me as I read these words that the Lord speaks to us this morning. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be seated. Good morning. On behalf of Mission of the World, I'd like to express a very heartfelt thanks to Park City's Presbyterian Church for the many years of prayers and support. Um, it has been a privilege to journey with you over these many years to see God's kingdom extend, and it's a great honor for me to be able to share God's word with you today. As was mentioned earlier, we spent quite a bit of time in Cambodia. A uh, little trivia for you. Did you know that Cambodia is actually a kingdom? That means they have a king. But the truth is that people don't really respect their king very much. They respected the previous king, King Sihanouk. He led the country to independence from France, but his son, the current king, well, he was a ballet dancer in Italy, uh, never been married. And the truth is he has very little influence over his subjects. The country right next door, Thailand, also has a king. But in contrast, the Thai people revere their king. In fact, when there are civil uh, uprisings and, and problems, unrest, it just takes the king to stand up and speak and address his people, and he would say something to the effect, stop your demonstrations. Behave as Thai people ought to behave. And at his word, the people would drop their signs and go home. Do you realize that we also have a king? His name is Jesus. Now, what do you think people say about us who follow this king? Do they say that his people don't really respect him? Or do they say that his people, at his word, at his command, will drop everything and follow in obedience? Our message today is to help us to hear the final words of our Lord Jesus. The message is to renew our passion for missions. It is to change our perspective on missions, and it is to give us a renewed sense of purpose as we live here as citizens of the kingdom of God. So what is the first thing that the Lord is telling us? I believe he's telling us that we all, every one of us, we don't really deserve 
to be a part of his kingdom-building work. Can you imagine what must have been going on in those disciples' minds as they heard the news from Mary Magdalene that Sunday morning? Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive, and he wants to meet us in Galilee. Just three days earlier, they all saw Jesus hung limp on a cross at Calvary Mountain. How is it now that he is alive? Galilee is about 60 to 75 miles away from Jerusalem, and so it probably took this band of disciples about three or four days to journey from Jerusalem to Galilee. Can you imagine the conversations that they've had as they walked together? Perhaps her mind flashed back to the last time that they were all together, that fateful night in the Garden of Gethsemane. Perhaps echoing in their ears are the words of their Lord, so you can't even keep watch with me for one hour. Rise, behold, my betrayer is at hand. And as the angry mob armed with swords and clubs came to seize Jesus, all of his disciples, every single one of them, abandoned him, fled. Certainly Peter must have remembered how Jesus turned and looked at him when the rooster crowed in the courtyard of the high priest. And so I can imagine this, the disciples coming to the place where they would meet Jesus filled with so many different emotions. Not only wonder and awe at the possibility that Jesus might be alive, but also fear and shame that they might have to face the one that they abandoned. When I was about 10 years old, my older brother and I and uh, a neighborhood friend were playing at a park close to our house. It was about two blocks away. Uh, and as we were there, these uh, older neighborhood bullies came out and uh, they were actually trying to throw water balloons at us. And, you know, they missed and so being Rascally boys, we yelled back at them and never expecting what would happen next. Well, these two older bullies started running after us. And, uh, you know, we were young kids. We had our bikes right there. And so we all hopped on our bikes and pedaled as fast as we could back home, screaming, yelling. Our hearts were pounding. Uh, these bullies were coming after us. And sure enough, I was the first back home. And then my friend next to me. And then we looked back. And there was my brother a block away. The chain had fallen off his bike. And so those bullies came, and sure enough, they took a couple of cheap shots and left. And there was my brother, humiliated, weeping, angry, seething in this anger. He picked up his bike, and in humiliation, he walked right to where we were standing, looking at this whole scene unfold, dumbfounded. He threw down his bike. He came up to me, and he slugged me in the stomach. And he said, where were you? Didn't you hear me screaming for help? Of course, I didn't hear anything really that day. Um, I felt so bad after that. After the incident, we asked our dad to teach us Taekwondo. <laughs> it only lasted a couple weeks. 
You see, we should expect Jesus to come to his disciples on that mountain and slug them <laughs> and say, where were you? But you see, he doesn't. He doesn't mention any of their failures. He doesn't mention any of their sins. In fact, when he comes to Mary Magdalene, he says, go tell my brothers to meet me. He still calls them brothers. And even as many of them were standing before him, doubting him, he doesn't mention any of these things. You see, this is a picture of God's incredible mercy and grace. You see, what they deserve is to be abandoned. What they deserve is to be denied before the Father. What they deserve is to be excluded from the kingdom, but instead he enlists them into his kingdom, into his band of brothers to finish the work that he was called. Who are these disciples? We are these disciples. We're just like them, aren't we? Hesitant, doubtful, sometimes still full of shame, guilt, fears. Now, I don't know about you, but when someone that I've offended that I actually respect overlooks my sins and shows me mercy and grace, I can't help but love and respect him more. When he demonstrates to me that my relationship with him is so secure and that there are no strings attached for his affection for me. I can't help but reciprocate love and affection for him. What he desires is what I desire. And when I am convinced that I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not in front of, that he, in fact, sees me as I am with all my brokenness, sins, and shame, and still loves me. I can't help but be passionate for what he is passionate for. And so we ask the question, where does this passion for missions come from? It comes from a deep passion for our Lord who loves us and has given his life for us. You see, this isn't guilt trip motivation but that which springs from a sincere sense of gratitude, a sincere sense of respect and love and admiration for the one who has given us his life. And so the more that we dwell upon God's great mercy for us, the more fuel that we add to mission's fire in our hearts. And so, yes, we do not deserve to be a part of this work of missions, and yet he allows us by his amazing grace. The second thing that I believe the Lord is telling us today is that we don't have to be afraid to engage in his kingdom-building work. Why? Because Jesus, our sender, has been given all authority in heaven and in earth. 
And when we go, we go with his authority. But I'll be honest with you, my fear is, beloved, that we don't really believe this. We don't believe that Jesus has all authority. We don't believe that we go with his authority. Oftentimes we fall into one of two extremes. The first is approaching missions in utter fear and anxiety. Have you guys been there? Maybe we think about how ill-equipped we are to share our faith, to start a discipleship relationship, or God forbid to even begin praying whether God is calling us to full-time mission service overseas. Even for those who, of us who are called to send and support, we are often hesitant to give or commit beyond what is comfortable. Why? Because we're afraid. And so we should ask ourselves, do we believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and in earth? And that we go and send, not in our own strength, but in his. What is the other extreme in missions? That's being overly confident in our own authority. We think somehow that because we are educated, because we are wealthy, because we are from the West, that somehow the world has to listen to us. We often go thinking that we have authority. And so we go and do missions in that strength and confidence. When we first came to the Philippines, I had visited the Presbyterian Theological Seminary there. I was quite honestly very excited at the possibility of teaching. I had studied quite a lot, prepared a lot uh, for this very reason. The first students I met were very friendly. Um, they introduced themselves to me and uh, I to them. And then one of them asked me, so what year in school are you here? <laughs> he thought I was a student. I was so offended. I was thinking, don't you know who I am? Of course they didn't know who I was. But of course I had to hide, be humble, missionary, right? So I said, no, I'm actually not a student here. And then they replied, uh, so are you going to apply? <laughs> we need to ask ourselves, what kind of authority are we basing our confidence upon? Worldly authority, education, money, power? Or do we believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth and that we send support and go with his authority? Only by the authority and power of Christ given to us by his Holy Spirit, by his presence, can we contribute anything of lasting value for his kingdom? You see the promise that he gives at the end of the Great Commission? Lo, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I don't believe it's simply a promise that somehow God is watching over us. I believe it is a promise of what? His Holy Spirit indwelling us. His Holy Spirit equipping us. Empowering us. Do you believe this? You see, this teaching should give us both confidence and humility. It should give us hesitant, doubtful disciples confidence knowing that Christ is calling us to a task that cannot fail. 
and equipping us with a power that knows no bounds. At the same time, it gives us humility to recognize it's not our power, it's not our authority by which his kingdom grows. And so this is the perspective we need to think about as we engage in this overwhelming task of discipling the nations. So the Lord is telling us, number one, we don't deserve to be a part of this kingdom-building work, and yet he calls us by his grace. Second, he tells us we cannot do this work by our own authority or power, but we can by his. And finally, I believe the Lord is telling us that every one of us needs to be involved in this kingdom-building work. Every one of us needs to be involved in making, in making disciples. What are those two main tasks that Jesus associates with making disciples? Baptism and teaching. Why baptism? Baptism signifies one's entrance into the community of Jesus' disciples. It requires this radical commitment to the Lord and his people, essentially saying, I die to myself and am reborn to live for Christ by receiving his Holy Spirit. It's a declaration that I'm a follower of Christ. Why teaching? Teaching is the means that Jesus uses to mature his disciples as those who belong to the kingdom. And so not only are we to lead people to a radical commitment to follow Jesus, we are to nurture them in their faith by teaching them everything that Jesus commands. But the truth is we cannot make disciples unless we unless we are disciples. So have we made the decision to live wholeheartedly for the Lord? Are we committed to a lifetime of learning and growing in the gospel of grace? Part and parcel of teaching everything that Jesus commands is this teaching on making more disciples. Part and parcel of being a disciple is making a disciple. Maybe there are some here who are thinking, we're just not ready. We're not equipped. Isn't it the pastor's job to baptize and teach? Certainly God has ordained ministers in his church to carry out these unique roles. And yet every disciple of Christ is called to participate in making more disciples, whether sending, supporting, or going to the nations. Four pastors go to a restaurant they're seated and wait uh, patiently for the waitress, but she delays, delays. Finally, she comes, she has these menus, throws them down on the table, says, what do you want? She acts so rudely to them that the whole evening is ruined. Uh, when the bill finally came, the most senior pastor pays the bill and he calls the waitress over. And he looks her in the eye and he says to her, seems like you've had a really hard day. Here, this is a gift. And he hands her a $100 bill. She is so moved by his kindness that she breaks down in tears and begins to pour out her heart to them. And right then and there, the senior pastor shares the gospel with her. And right then and there, she accepts Jesus as her Lord and her Savior. Out in the parking lot, the senior pastor took 
the other pastors. And he said to them, and now I want each of you to give me $25. (laughs) You see, every one of us can be involved in making disciples. Some supporting, some leading people to this radical commitment. But of course, Jesus' teachings are gospel teachings, are they not? We don't teach our disciples they have to be perfect, moral people. What is discipleship? It's showing someone else how to apply the gospel to all the areas of their life, their marriage, their family, their work. When the center of discipleship is the gospel, the focus is less on us and more on Christ. We don't have to pretend to be something that we're not. Our message is that we are messed up, broken people and that we daily need to feed on the gospel of grace. Daily we need to come humbly before our God confessing our sins, our anxieties, our fear, our pride, our insecurities. And so we teach our disciples that we are merely beggars showing other beggars where to find food. Now we can certainly be involved in making disciples here in our own hometown. Certainly many nations have come. But the Lord is still calling his church to go to other nations, to other places in order to fulfill his redemptive plan. Jesus, risen from the grave, our living King, calls us to carry forth his message of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. You see, this task is not an option. It's not something we do if we have extra time. It's included in the very definition of what it means to be a disciple, namely to make disciples. And so it helps us define our purpose and calling while we remain here in this life. And so, beloved, do we respect our King? Our King has delivered us from the bondage of sin and death. Our King has set us free. And so with all the gratitude that wells up in our hearts, let us respect our King and let His vision for the kingdom of God Here on earth, as it is in heaven, be our vision as well. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed by your love and affection for us. Help us to dwell deeply. Help us to drink deeply from the fountain of grace that what would overflow is a heart of compassion and love for the nations. Help us, O Lord, in this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.